It's the midweeks, and we're in 2 Samuel 13. This is a very uh, challenging, difficult, uh, heartbreaking chapter, and it's the chapter of Amnon's defiling of his half-sister Tamar and the consequences of that. If you're listening to this just through, you'll know, this will be fairly familiar, but if you're listening to this a week at a time, just to remember, in the recent chapters, David has pronounced a fourfold avenging uh, on himself through the story of the man who stole the, his neighbor's lamb. And one of his sons has died, the son of Bathsheba. And now there's going to be the next story of sons perishing as a under the sovereignty of God consequence for David's betrayal of the Lord. Uh, David isn't being rejected as king, but we're going to see here that he is fairly diminished as king, and we'll see this unfolding. But the story here is actually going to move from being David as a main character to Amnon and Absalom as being the main characters and David responding to their maneuvers. So right away you know there's a change in the story because David isn't a central character in this whole uh, these series of events. But let's read and we'll make comments as we go. Verse 1, chapter 13. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. So Amnon is one of David's sons, could be his firstborn. I don't have it in front of me, but that's a very easy check for you if you want to check that out. Um, And David has a beautiful sister, and Amnon sees this beautiful sister. And so we're having here echoes of David seeing Bathsheba, this beautiful woman, and what is he going to do, Abnon, with this, uh, the sight of this beautiful woman? We know what David did. He engineered uh, an affair, an adultery, and there were consequences from that. And we'll see what does Amnon do in this situation. Um, thus far, he doesn't have the power of a king just to make his will happen. So he's feeling ill because he's stuck between his desires and his ability to fulfill his desires here. Verse 3, but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. So Jonadab is David's nephew, he's uh, Amnon's cousin, and he's uh, in the royal household, he's in the court, and in the Hebrew it just says Jonadab was uh, very wise, and so it's translated crafty because his wisdom doesn't come out serving the Lord. And serving righteousness, like Solomon did in the first half, does in the first half of his life, his wisdom comes out on how to manipulate situations, uh, how to read people and manipulate situations. So it's translated crafty, but it is the word hakam, which means wise. And he said to him, "O son of the king, why are you so haggard, morning after morning? Will you not tell me?" And Amnon said to him, "I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister." Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. So Jonadab It's almost like Joab. He's in the royal household. He's in the inner court, but he's not a man of faith. 
he's a man of skill but not a man of faith and so he presents this way for um, Amnon to be alone with Tamar by pretending to be ill and then asking his father for Tamar to come and be his nurse essentially and what you don't see here in this discussion is like what's going to happen next like why do you want to be alone and all this stuff and so they probably both know it but there's kind of this revealing of the heart that they're setting up the situation saying well we'll just see what happens here and but we know that this is set up really really bad this is only set up so that it can go bad but Jonadab knows how to manipulate people and the situation so that Amnon can try to get what he wants verse 7 then David sent home to Tamar saying go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him so what we have here is David is usually very wise himself and insightful um, there's been a few times where people have tried to play tricks on him. Do you remember that guy who brought the crown from Saul and said, you know, I just was wandering around the battlefield and I brought this to you. David has, in his life thus far, a few times killed people who have come to him trying to manipulate him into doing something according to their own desires. And so one of the things we see diminished about David here is that he doesn't see through the plot. He doesn't see through the deception. And it might be because David um, himself used deception to try to get what he wanted with getting um, uh, Bathsheba's husband killed. So because he worked with deception, it's become kind of something that he is no longer able to see through. Uh, obviously, it's under the sovereignty of God. But David here is being seen as a diminished man because he can't see through this strange plot with this strange request. I feel so sick, only my, my sister, you know, the young beautiful one, can help me. Uh, this is this has a bit shenanigans written all over it, but David doesn't see through it, and so he becomes a participant by sending Tamar at the king's order to Amnar's house into this trap. So it's almost like, same with Uriah, he sends him into a trap. He sends her into a trap too. Verse 8. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes and she took the pan and emptied it out before him but he refused to eat and Amnon said send everyone out from me so everyone went out from him. So we have a few verses here. Um, this story is slowing down as it's going into this scene uh, in the household here and so it builds up suspense because you're wondering what's going to happen next and so it takes a long time to talk about the whole cooking process very likely trying to get us to feel that weird tension where Amnon's waiting for her to finish cooking and she's kind of waiting to figure out why she's there um, but it builds suspense and then Amnon sends out all these guys in this tricky move so there's no witnesses uh, you wonder, I, I would suspect that Tamar's probably having all the alarm bells going off in her soul, like, what's happening? This isn't good. Verse 10, then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber, probably meaning his bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. So there's lots of emphasizing here that it's her brother and sister and stuff, um, which forces you to feel the grossness and the crime of this that there should have been some familial protection here but there's not instead there's manipulation and using and crime against each other and this probably echoes the same with Uriah remember Uriah was one of David's bodyguard and there should have been chesed there should have been this covenant loyalty between David towards his bodyguard who is willing to die for David to save his life but David instead gets him killed for his wife 
And same here, there should have been this covenant loyalty between Amnon and Tamar as uh, Israelite family. But instead, there's uh, Amnon turns out to be a traitor and a criminal and an abuser. And he does the opposite of Chesed. And instead, he, he sounds more like Shechem. In the book of Genesis, remember, there's um, Shechem who rapes Dinah. And this story sounds a lot like this. I love you, so I have to abuse you. Verse 11, but when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said, come lie with me, my sister. So now this trap is sprung. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where can I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Now we have this speech from Tamar, and this, because again, she's been passive up to this point, similar to Bathsheba, who kind of went along with the plan. She doesn't know what the plan is, but she's been passive up to this point. But here we see her taking action, and she's given this speech. This is a very noble speech. She rejects the invitation as being sin. Um she sees what's going on that he's got the willingness to violate her in his eyes he's not making a marriage proposal um, he wants to violate her and she's right she sees this through the eyes of faith and she sees this through the eyes of sin such a thing is not done in israel this is an outrageous thing then she sees the potential consequences for her personally where would i carry my shame she accurately predicts that she would feel very ashamed and violated through this and as for you, you'd be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. So she actually accurately predicts that Amnon will go down in the history of Israel as an outrageous fool. And a fool, you might remember in Hebrew, doesn't just mean someone who's stupid. It means somebody who is stupid because his heart is committed to unbelief and evil. So instead, she provides him a way out. Why don't you speak to the king and he'll make some arrangements. He won't withhold me from you. So she's even willing to... Now, this could be a ploy. Maybe she's just trying to get out of the room, but she's thus far been very wise herself. And so she would rather have a bad, honorable marriage than be violated like this. And so very likely she's right. Very likely there would have been a way to arrange a marriage there. But Amnon doesn't want to listen. Just like David didn't listen to the voice of his conscience when he brought Bathsheba to him, Amnon does not listen to the protestations of his half-sister and violates her. And then what happens is Amnon has this like triggered conscience and he totally transforms. In this way, even proving that Shechem is like a better man than he was to remember in Shechem from Genesis, still wanted to be married to Dinah. Now, it still cost him his life, and Dinah's brothers killed Shechem along with every man in that area. But um, Amnon here has even a more wicked heart, having sinned against her. Now his heart changes, and he um, goes crazy, essentially, in probably guilt and shame and and despises her because of what he has done to her verse 15 then amnon hated her with a very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her and amnon said to her get up go but she said to him no my brother for this is for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me but he would not listen to her okay so 
again, she's right. Um, by Israelite law, by the law of Moses, they were married because of this act. Um, he, he had an obligation to be married to her, and so to send her away is like marriage and divorce. It's a real defiling, and she won't be able to be remarried, essentially, because of this. And so Amnon is really under the curse of God because he he thinks he loved her, he did love her, then he despises her because of his own guilt, and he's completely out of control, personally, but under the control of sin, totally. And so again, Tamar speaks wisdom and truth, and Amnon doesn't listen to her. So Amnon listens to the voice of Jonadab to get what he wants, but he doesn't listen to the voice of Tamar, who speaks wisdom and would have really rescued him from his unrighteousness. Verse 17, he called the young men who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. So you have a reversal of what David did with Bathsheba, where he sent his servants to bring the woman to her. And now he's sending his servants to throw this woman out. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves. For thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. And so the servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. So she enters right away into the morning of death, essentially. And there's this huge hubbub and everybody's hearing about this. So this isn't like Bathsheba where something is hidden until the pregnancy is revealed. Right away, Tamar is making public the wrong that Abnon has done. And she goes to see Absalom. Verse 20, And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take it to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. And when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. So this violent violating event happens and it's not really dealt with at all um, Abna, Absalom just tells his brother sister to be quiet and she lives as like a desolate woman as a unmarriable woman as a widow in her brother's house and so there isn't going to be children through this side of the family through her and her life is ruined so Abnon is essentially like killed Tamar and I don't even know if we hear I don't think we hear from Tamar again but essentially, Amnon has killed Tamar, similar to how David killed Uriah. Uh, Tamar's life is over. And David hears about it, and he's very angry, but he doesn't do anything about it. David doesn't uh, put Amnon to death, probably should have, or exile him, probably should have. And so first he's duped, and now he's paralyzed. He's angry, but paralyzed, and this isn't good. Um, and Absalom decides to bide his time. So Jonadab was crafty in setting up this whole series of events to blow up, but now Absalom is going to be crafty and he is going to just wait, not doing anything, uh, abiding his time until the right moment, but nursing a hatred for Amnon. Verse 23, after two full years, see David didn't do anything. This is two years later. Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Okay, so Absalom just is going to let it, he's going to let everybody forget about this stuff. He doesn't talk about Tamar, doesn't talk about Amnon, just, just letting things, everybody thinks Absalom's made his peace. Maybe they wonder, like, what's happening there? But no, nothing's happening. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. 
But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. And he pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Abnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Abnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Abnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Abnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. So again, you've got this echo here. Do you remember how um, David got duped by Amnon at, with this request for Tamar to come? Now David is going to get duped by Absalom with this request for David and the sons to come. And David here, you can tell he's a little bit less willing to participate with this. And he's almost slightly suspicious. In verse 26, we said, where the king says, why should he go with you? That sounds a little bit suspicious, like things aren't all adding up, but they weren't adding up before. And so we see the king here um, having maybe his own alarm bells going off, but not acting on it. And so Amnon goes along with the sons. And then we have these interesting statements here, because if you listen to it, when Amnon is commanding his servants to strike Amnon down, he sounds actually like God talking to Joshua. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. That sounds like Joshua 1.9 when the Lord says, do not be frightened. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? You know, this is the same kind of speech that God gave to Joshua going into the promised land is now in the mouth of a man commanding his servants to commit um, fratricide, the, the murder of a brother, as well as it's almost like a kind of uh, uh, attempted life on the king because Amnon is probably in line to receive the kingdom here. And so he's a, a prince. But you're meant to hear that, that that Absalom almost has the most, most faith out of anybody here. David is getting bamboozled again. Amnon is about to go and get killed with the sheep shearers he's a, he's like a sheep being led to the slaughter amongst the sheep shearers here but only absalom really is taking action and executing plans and he's got self-confidence and so you're meant to hear this like sense of confidence that's in absalom except he believes in himself and his own vengeance and not in the lord and then you have um, these servants killing Abnon, which is probably meant to remind us of how David used his servant Joab to get Uriah killed. And then all the king's sons arise and flee. Verse 30, while they were on their way, news came to David. You wonder how news can travel so fast. The sons are fleeing on donkeys, and yet a messenger gets to David before them. Oh, well. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. That's what the messenger said. Then the king arose and tore his garments, just like Tamar did, and lay on the earth. So Tamar put ashes on her head, tore her garments. David has now torn his garments and is lying on the earth. And all his sons were standing by, tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom... This has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord the king take, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. This is a very interesting little scene here because um, David, again, believes this report. You have David keeping on believing things that aren't true in this story. 
very likely because he manipulated truth to gain his own ends he's now being presented as someone who can't discern the truth and so he's been duped twice and now even this false report is getting to him and John Adab who is this crafty guy who's not a good guy has to explain this isn't what's really happened but it's really interesting because he said by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day he violated his sister and so people knew that Absalom wanted to kill Amnon but somehow David didn't know and so people aren't talking to each other here or people are uh, watching things happen and uh, kind of knowing that that maybe they feel it's inevitable or whatever but there's this real brokenness here and there's this real sense of like divine fate like these activities can't be stopped people can see them coming but can't stop them people who should be wise and discerning are now fools people who shouldn't get the upper hand are gaining the upper hand and all of this is a consequence of david's unbelief in the lord that expressed itself through the Bathsheba and Uriah activities. Um, and so now we have Jonadab, again, being wise, being shrewd, not being good, but understanding what's going on, saying just it's just Amnon. Remember, this was he was Amnon's friend. This is two years after Jonadab set into motion these events with Tamar that led to her being violated and now is leading to his friend's Amnon being killed. You wonder if at any time he thought, um, this is kind of my fault. He never comes up. He never says it. But you wonder. Verse 34. But Absalom fled. The young man who kept, and the young man who kept the watch lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the road. And Jonathan said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. So they're weeping over this thing. So this is the first time in Israelite history when there's been a murder among the king's uh, descendants. There was jockeying for power between the house of Saul and the house of David, but there wasn't actually like a murder between this king's sons. And maybe this reminds us a little bit of... Um, Gideon's offsprings, um, where that kind of thing happened, but with, within the actual household of, of the kingship, this is the first time. And again, what all this story has to do is the testing of God's promise. He made a promise to David a few chapters ago that one of his sons would sit on the throne of Israel uh, forever. And I think Amnon was the one to sit on the throne, and now he's been murdered because of his sin. And so there's this outworking of the word of God in David's descendants. How is God going to work out this promise to have one of his descendants sit on the throne of Israel forever while punishing the unbelief and the uh, disloyalty of kings to God? And we're finding out in history how this is working out. And so they're all weeping here. And then... Finishing off this fairly long chapter, verse 37, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom goes to, this is um, his grandfather, I think. Um, Talmai is, sorry, was either the father of his mother or the brother of his mother. So there's a family connection here. That's why Absalom runs to this place. This is where he's from. Half of his family is from here. And David is left mourning Amnon's death uh, for a while. Verse 38, so Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. So the story is now five years after these first events that happened with, uh, with Amnon. 
And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. And there's this little echo there. Remember when the son of Bathsheba died, David had fasted and mourned. And then when the child died, he got up and eat, ate and was comforted because this guy was dead. Now, and the contrast is that with the first time that comforting was all about trusting in the Lord. He had sought the Lord. The Lord had said no. And now he's accepting it from the Lord's hand. And here you don't hear about David responding to all these situations, talking to the Lord, praying to the Lord, hearing from the Lord. Instead, it's more David's being driven by his uh, human reasoning, which is getting deceived by crafty people and his own human emotions, which is mourning the loss of a son and then being comforted about Amnon. Amnon's gone. I wish Absalom were back, even though Absalom hasn't repented or said sorry or or anything like that. And so David is really being moved emotionally in the flesh, it looks like. And events are happening more at the... It's the crafty people who are in control of what's going on right now. It's the people who make hidden plans, who are driving the history of David's household right now. Which is very interesting because there are going to be future wise men who have pivotal, pivotal roles in how this stuff works out. Ahithophel is going to be a, a big one, but um, as much as you know, Samuel the prophet started this whole kingship thing, and Nathan the prophets intervened with David, um, these crafty people, these wise men are starting to take their place as being influential in um, the affairs of the kingdom in the castle. And it's not always good. In fact, so far, it's been bad. And again, this probably has an echo of how David tried to use his wisdom and his craft to get Bathsheba and then get rid of Uriah and control these sins and series of events. His desire to rule by craftiness is now he's being ruled over by men, young men who are craftier than him. So hard chapter. Um, these, these stories about um, leading up to the civil war here, there's going to be a civil war when Absalom tries to take the kingdom away from David. And these, these chapters having to do with the consequences of David's sin are, are painful chapters, but the word of God wants us to know what happened. This is amazing that God would spend so many chapters talking about these consequences and talking about the family of David. And the reason, like I said, is because God made a promise to David about his kingship and made David's children important for the rest of history because he promised that one of his sons would be on the throne. And so to tell the story of how God proved faithful in the midst of so much sin and unbelief is just like the rest of the Bible story that God again and again, proves himself faithful, faithful to his word, faithful to his promises, faithful to his threats, but faithful to his name, and faithful to his grace, and faithful to everybody who comes to him with faith and humility. And this is the story, and so this is why it's worthwhile hearing about this stuff. This is about God being faithful to his promises, his prophecies, and his, his grace and his plan. And so we need to know about it. And this is what we can see overarching all of this stuff in a hard chapter. We can see that God is going to work things out according to his purposes, even in the midst of terrible, terrible events. And that should be an encouragement to us because we all have terrible events happening to us. And sometimes we're actors in it. But we can humble ourselves and we can lift up our confidence in the Lord that he is able to be faithful to his promises in any circumstance. 
and to fulfill his good purposes in us and through us as we trust in him. And amen.